Hey, I want to jump in uh, today, and uh, I'm pretty candid when I preach, and so I'm going to keep that energy. Um, I want you to think about a time when something happened to you that was unexpected, okay? All right? Okay, all right. You know, think about it. Think about a time that's unexpected. The first thing that comes to mind for me, uh, I have a five-year-old named Axel. He's a different species, but shout out to Axel who's watching online, hopefully. Uh, but I know the first time I was play fighting with him, and he caught me. I was like, yo, that hurts. Like, he's five, but he hits pretty hard right now. It was unexpected, right? But I, I'm not talking about, like, that type of unexpected or shock. Okay, the moment I'm talking about is when you're, you were set out to do something, you were focused on something, and then somehow your emotions got dragged into the situation, okay? Let me be a little more specific. I took my sons, I have two sons, to see Frozen 2, okay? Y'all like Frozen 2? I like Frozen 2. I took them to see Frozen 2. Now... I thought I was going there just to be a good dad. Yo, you know what? It's animated. They're going to be locked in. Let me get some snoozes. Let me, I, this is not for me. This is for them. Let me go and be a good dad. You know what I'm saying? Let's go see Frozen 2. We get there. I'm watching. Man, that song is amazing. It's incredible. Who are the writers on that one? Man. Wow, the animation, the graphics. Lo, lo and behold, I find myself at the end of the movie, I think back to these themes that sh I'm sure went over their head, but they spoke to me as an adult. I went there focused for something else. Now my emotions are all involved. What am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to go into the unknown? <laughs> am I really willing to do that? I had to check myself, Shawana. Yo, I know, I've felt a voice call me before. Where am I going? Do I see? I'm coming into the unknown. Like, I, I really, these themes of sacrificing for truth, these themes of reconciliation, I'm like, yo, this, I didn't come here for this, but I got it. And I don't think that just happens in moments like watching Frozen. It also happened in my spiritual life. It also happened in my walk with God. Those of you who know, uh, I'm the regional director for Young Life. It's a global nonprofit that works with uh, middle school, high school, college, um, young people. And we share the gospel. We share the gospel with them. And Young Life owns camp properties all across the country. The one closest to here is a place called Lake Champion. And back in like 2009, I remember getting started, getting the work for Young Life here started in Harlem, and we took some kids up to Lake Champion so they could hear the gospel of Jesus. They could hear how they are loved unconditionally in a relevant way for them, in a way that would speak directly to them, not to everybody else, but specifically to these high school students. I get there, I'm listening, and... I'm like, yo, okay, y'all, this is for you. Sit down, pay attention. You're going to love it. Everybody, you know, listen, pay attention. And I found myself being overwhelmed by the profound simplicity of God's love for me. I found myself being moved almost to tears. I'm a G. I don't cry in public. But 
almost to tears to the fact that I'm like, I know God. I know Jesus. I brought them to get this. And here I am having a moment, having an experience. God speaking deep. To, it's like I was focused on something else and something went into my insides and grabbed me just so that I could pay attention. The profound simplicity of God's truth arrested my heart and it was unexpected. And here's what puzzled me as I was thinking about this experience. I realized the truth of the matter is, in general, we are unaware of what we actually need. We are unaware of the things we actually need. And if I could be honest, I don't want to be one of those people who has a need that everybody else could see but me. We could be so unaware of the things that we actually need. Today, we're talking about the concept of mercy. And here's what I want you to know. Mercy is available to everybody. Mercy is available to everybody. And as I thought about this, I realized mercy is one of those concepts that if I'm not careful, I could convince myself that I don't need it. If I'm not careful, I could have this stagnant relationship with mercy like, oh, yo, I needed that in this one situation, but I don't need the dynamic presence of mercy in my life. We're going to talk about mercy today. See, you may not see it, but we know the effects. And my fear sometimes is that in my narrow-minded thinking that I would see mercy and act as if I don't need it. My prayer for this church is that we don't slip into the thinking that we're good, that we don't need the things God has for us. And, and, and now I'm not talking about just mercy. I'm talking about all the things that God has for us. Jesus says so beautifully in John uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 10, he says at the end of that verse, he says, uh, I have come that they, those who put their faith and their trust in following me, that they may have abundant life and they may have life to the full. And it would suck if we were the kind of people who actually had abundant life available to us, but told parts of that abundant life, we don't need you. I don't want to give mercy the Heisman. But it's, if I was to be honest, it's fairly easy. It's fairly easy for us to slip into this thinking and be convinced that we don't need some of the things that God has for us. In general, I believe this principle is true. We have a tendency to reject the things that are good for us. Not because we consciously reject them, but because we've convinced ourselves that we don't actually need it. When I went to Young Life Camp, I was convinced I didn't need anything else from God. I had it. And my heart was arrested. You and I, we reject, we tend to reject the things that are good for us. Let me give you some examples, because I see some of y'all like, all right, let me give you some examples. You go to a restaurant, you know you're trying to get your body back. You get to the restaurant, you make your order. 
the waiter comes over, has his pad or her pad, and say, okay, would you like fries or a salad with that? And what do you say? Don't answer that. We all know, everyone knows that diets, having greenery in our diets is an important thing. We all know that. We all know uh, eating vegetables is good for us. But we have a tendency to reject things that are good for us. We order the fries. And you know what we say? We justify it by saying, you know, I'm going to work out tomorrow. (laughs) We reject things that are generally good for us. We need the greenery. Okay, maybe you're like, Aswan, listen, I eat my kale. I eat my uh, mixed greens. I, I, I'm pretty disciplined with my eating, my diet. It's not that. Maybe for you, it's budgeting. We all know, we all know cognitively, we know that having a plan and prioritizing our money and having some some values and guidelines that dictate how we use our funds, we all know it's actually good for us. But when we get that stimulus, we out. When we get that check, we like, yo, what we doing? And then we find out that there's more months than our money. And then we get frustrated, and then we do it again next month. (laughs) Some of y'all are like, I'm talking to you. (laughs) We reject things that are good for us. We know cognitively in our hearts good wealth practices, say budgeting, is good. No matter how you do it, it's good. But yet we reject it. This last example I think is, is... is really fitting for all of us, to be very honest. But I, but I want to be sensitive here because it could be a touchy subject. But I think one of the things that we've convinced ourselves that we don't need and we reject it is therapy. And particularly as a black man growing up, the stigma in the black community is not only did I, I didn't have to convince myself I don't need it, I was taught that. I was told You don't really need that. We don't do that. But the truth of the matter is, the most common thread in the human experience is pain. It's suffering. Where are we going to to talk about this? What, What are we doing with the emotions that could be up one day, down the next hour, up one hour, down the next day? What are we doing with these emotions? We're, we're trying to grit our teeth and figure out this pain and suffering world all on our own when therapy could be a very good thing for us, but we reject it. And let's be real. We've convinced ourselves we don't need it. I've made my bed. I'm going to sleep in it. I'm going to just keep working hard at this life that I have because this is the life that I have. I'm in control of this at least. I'm not going to go be vulnerable before somebody. But we know it's good for us. We know we want a hug. We know we want somebody to listen. We know we want to tell all the stuff that we're ashamed of and, and, and feel guilty about. We know we want to get it out, but we reject it. It's easy for anybody to slip into this mindset that, man, I'm convinced I don't need it. And like I said, it's not just therapy, it's not just budgeting, it's not just how we eat, it's also the spiritual things in our life. 
God's mercy is good for us. There's some of us maybe in this room or some of us online where you're sitting in, the, in, the, in a heart of despair. You think you've done too much. You think you've gone too far. And you know what? God can't use me. I, I got to get it all together so that I could get to God. When I get it right, then I'm sure he'll deal with me. Mercy is for you. Mercy is available for everybody. And then there's some of you in the building or, or maybe some of you online and, and you're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm straight. Like, yes, seven years ago, I messed up that one time. God got me. But for the most part, I'm good. The, the heart of, of a prideful heart is that there's no room for nothing else. But mercy is available for everyone, even for that overconfident heart. Jesus says, mercy is available for you. Mercy is available for everyone. And I don't want any of us to reject it. We all fall short of God's standards. None of us measure up. There's never a time in your life where you don't need mercy. Not one. Mercy is available for everyone. But let's define mercy really quickly, right? Mercy, here's the definition. Mercy is God's patient action. I love it. Mercy is God's patient action. For, for my Bible scholars out there, right, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. The, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And when, you, when, when these languages talk about the concept of mercy, they talk about the notion that, that God sees and knows the offense. He has the authority and ability to uh, pronounce judgment on that, offense, on that offense. But yet, instead of doing that, he extends his mercy. He extends his compassion, his grace. All of those words are um, affiliated with this concept of mercy. But mercy is, yo, you should have gotten that ticket, but you didn't. This result of what you did should have actually happened, but it didn't. Thank God for his mercy. Would it not be a concept that we convince ourselves we don't need? I love how the psalmists say it uh, in Psalm 51.1. It says, be gracious to me, God, in the Christian Standard Bible. But in the NIV, it says, Lord, have mercy on me. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, have mercy on me. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. My prayer is that we realize how necessary God's mercy is. It's not just for them, it's for us. It's not just for you, it's for me. And once we see how good it is for us, I pray we don't reject it. Let's look at God's word this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a, an account uh, found in John. And I think this account is going to help us apply this concept of mercy directly to our lives. Let's go to John. It'll, the, the, this account actually starts in John 7, verse 53. And let me begin reading there. Then each one went to his house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. 
At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. I love how the, the Bible portrays Jesus as this relatable figure. He sat down and met people where they are. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, and the scribes and the Pharisees, we'll talk a little more about them, but they were uh, the folks that were elite. They were astute, knowing, every, knowing all the details about the Bible and God's word. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, in the, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. They were plotting. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Then they persisted in questioning him. He stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, which would have been customary at this time. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. She answered, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. For my Bible scholars in the room, yes, um, a lot of research about this particular passage is not found in the original manuscripts that, that was found, but uh, this is an oral tra tradition, right? In, in Jesus' day, it was an oral tradition. So this story would have been known. And because of the topic, maybe and it's suggested that maybe that's not why it was in the original manuscript, but it was seen as something important to show the character and the nature of Jesus and so it was added in later. And I just say that to say the foundation that we're aware of that with this passage. I don't think it negates the power of what God is going to say to us tonight, today, this morning. Also, we talked about the Pharisees and the scribes, and I, and, and I just want to say this. I think it's super important. I don't want us to, to buy into the sense that the Pharisees are just some evil characters that, are in, that float throughout the Bible with these mean faces, right? Like these were men whose, whose initial heart was to really make sure that people followed God. Their heart was like, I just want to call you back to, to the way it's supposed to be. I want you to follow, what it, uh, follow the, the law and, and all the things that were set for us to have a good relationship with God. They wanted people to follow that. The challenge is they just took it to the extreme. The challenge is they started adding things to it that were never intended to be there. But, but I want to pull out three points in this, in this account because I really do think, I pray that we do not convince ourselves that we don't need God's mercy. And I know that sometimes I don't want you to look at this passage and say, oh, well, where can I find exactly me in my situation? I just want to see what you identify with. 
I want to find a place in this text that you can identify. And so here's the, the, the first point here, and I, I, this actually hits home for me. Mercy is for those of us in hiding. Mercy is for those who are in hiding. We talked about the, this woman who, who was caught in adultery, and man, listen, um, as I was thinking about this, I, remember, I don't think the Bible is just supposed to be read. I don't think we're supposed to just gloss over it. I really do think we are to experience and try to experience. It was not written for us, right? These, these accounts aren't directly written for us in the 21st century, but there's a lot that was written to us so that we, could, we can get it, right? Or vice versa. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. But when we, when we look at this woman caught in adultery, I started thinking like, yo, what if the, the, the sin in my life, the most unpleasant thing that I could possibly think of, what if that was taken and I walked into MSG and it was on the jumbotron? That's how this, this woman was feeling, exposed, out there. I mean, that's a, that's a very hard difficult place to be. And, and it's not just like we see accounts where it's just this woman. We see plenty of accounts where there's an interaction um, with someone and, and Jesus is interacting merciful with this particular person. There's a story about a guy named Zacchaeus who was short. I, I get it. I know when, you, when I said short, I, I got it, right? <laughs> What, there was, he was short, and he was up in a sycamore tree, the, Luke tells us in his gospel, and um, he's, he's hiding out because he knows his reputation, and Jesus walks by and sees him and invites him to dinner. There's a leper who knows he can't be in the mix of society. He's on the outskirts of society. We see Jesus go to him and say, yo, uh, uh, I'm willing to heal you. We see this, this picture of God's mercy to those in hiding. We see it all throughout Scripture. It's not just here with this woman. But let's make it real for us right here, right now. There are some of you right here who have been struggling with something that you're hiding. I knew there was going to be silence. But it's real. Some of us are wrestling with things right here, right now, that we just hope, if I just stash it, if I just bury it deep enough, nobody's ever going to know. And that despair is causing you to run from mercy when Jesus is saying, no, no, come. All who are hiding, mercy is available to them. All who are in hiding, trust me, when you come, it may feel a little painful. It may be out there in the open just a little bit. But, yo, when you come, the, the ailing bomb that you need is found only in my mercy. Mercy is for those who are in hiding. <laughs> I was, uh, I told you this is personal for me. I, I, there's a young man I, I, I've discipled, and some years ago, um, he, he called me, and he was just a wreck. He was in tears, crying profusely. You know one of those cries, I can't even understand you on the phone. Like, what happened? What's, what's the matter? Like, Yo, just come. Just come to my house. I don't know what you're saying. Just come. He gets to my house. My wife and I are there, and he's like a mess, and he just confesses his sin. And we hug him, 
and we hug them, and we, pro- we, we, we do God's mercy in action, God's patient action. We wait, we listen. We have an incredible moment, and we pray for him. Now, when he got there, he had these white scales all over his arm, all the way down his arm. He had been hiding and carrying this thing for months. And he, he went to the doctor for it. He couldn't explain, and he couldn't explain to me. I, I asked him prior to this moment, like, what's happening? He just couldn't explain it. He left my house at 11 o'clock. I saw him the next day at 8.01 a.m., and all the scales were gone. There's mercy for those who are in hiding. God's mercy is available to you, and it's a gift. It's something that I pray you don't reject or you don't convince yourself that you don't need it because you do. And it is available to you. Because it's available to everyone. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 32, 3 and 5. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Mercy is available for those in hiding. Point two, mercy is for the self-righteous. And can we talk about these stone throwers for a second? Can we do that? Let me read this passage uh, starting at verse five. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Like I said, they're plotting. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning, I think that line is so key. As whatever Jesus was doing, they were not getting the answer they wanted. So they're like, yo, what? answer us, answer us, answer us. They persisted in questioning. He stood up and said to them, He didn't chastise them. He didn't black on them. He said, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. See, mercy is for the self-righteous. Why do I say that? Because these men, their heart wasn't even about justice. They weren't even trying to really figure out what Jesus' take on the law of Moses was. This woman, unfortunately, was caught in the collateral damage. Their heart was to catch Jesus so they could accuse him and bring accusations to him. In their hearts, they really did not want to see any justice. And the way we know that when you study this passage, which they would have known, the Old Testament says in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22, it says, yo... Both people, the adulterer and the adulteress, should be brought to the table to receive this death penalty. What happens in this account? It's only the woman. They're not really about that justice life. That's not what they were after. Their hearts were filled. And I, and I think even more so, they, they definitely weren't after mercy. 
They're like, why would, why would we do that? The concept of mercy? <laughs> Foolish. <laughs> Their hearts couldn't receive this idea that mercy would even be available in this situation. They thought it was either the death penalty or the death penalty. See, can I just be real? Like, we always talk, I, I feel like when this account is really talked about, we focus on the mercy for the woman, but yo, there's mercy available to these self, self-righteous people. And I do want to say to those of us in the building right now and those online who are self-righteous, would you put your stone down? Would you drop your stone for a second? And yes, you're not throwing a stone at an adulterous woman, but, but you are throwing shade at the person who don't vote like you. You are throwing shade at the person who you don't think is living a lifestyle that is neat and tucked away. You don't know their story. You don't know their pain and struggle. Yet when you look at your, their life, you're like, I would never do that. Yeah, we're not, we're not picking up stones right now, but we're throwing shade. With those of us who are self-righteous, would you put your stone down? Because here's the thing. The problem with self-righteousness is it prevents you from recognizing that you deserve the same judgment that you're dishing out. Are, is the self-righteousness in your life blinding you from God's mercy? Self-righteousness is damaging, but it's most damaging to the person who is self-righteous. See, mercy is for the self-righteous. And the challenge in this particular account is that they were so focused on their righteousness and executing the law that they didn't even realize what they needed. And I would hate for us to be a people who have a need that everyone else sees but you. And that's true of self-righteous people. You think you're good. But you need God's mercy, and you should be so thankful that God's mercy is available even to your self-righteous heart. The third, and I'm going to wrap up with this point, mercy is to be shared. Mercy is to be shared. Let me finish off this account. Let me start in verse 9 as we went back in and dissected a little bit. When they heard this, they left one by one. When these self-righteous men heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he, Jesus, was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Have no one condemned you? No one, Lord. She should have said rabbi there. She should have called him teacher, but she called him Lord. She recognized, she watched how he graciously interacted with these self-righteous men and her as she was caught in an act where she should have received a particular judgment, but she was extended mercy. No one, Lord, she answered, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. 
See, one point I want to make here before we talk about why it's important that God's mercy is to be shared is that I also believe God's mercy doesn't excuse you, it empowers you. God's mercy isn't just to say, yo, go do you. Go live life however you attempt and want to live life. God's mercy, there is a standard. He, he knows that standard. And he says he is the one that's going to make sure that there's a bridge between us and that standard. And so mercy through Jesus is the thing that is going to connect us to him. Mercy doesn't just excuse you. It empowers you to go live a life, to go and sin no more. I love how in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 18, uh, there's a parable of this unmerciful servant, as it's titled in most Bibles. And in this particular account, uh, there's a, a king who is, gives, provides mercy to this servant. This servant owes him a debt. This servant has some, some debt that he has to pay. The, the king says, all right, I'm going to give you some mercy. I'm going to uh, actively be patient in action. And he allows the debt to be removed and, and forgiven. And this servant then goes out. He sees someone that owes him money. He beats the dude up. That's whack. Beats him up, puts it, says, yo, you better make sure you pay me my money back. And then people who are watching, they're like, oh, 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 okay. Oh, that's what we're doing? Okay, bet. Let me tell the king. They go and tell the king. The king calls the servant back in and says, in, in, in 1835, in Matthew 1835 says, yo, shouldn't you have shown mercy? Because didn't you receive mercy? Not only is mercy for those of us in hiding, not only is mercy for the self-righteous, but mercy should be shared. There's a psalmist that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't taste and see that mercy is good and then keep it for yourself. That's not how it ought to be. It would be that you receive mercy, and because you know the penalty that should have been exacted to you, you know what should have happened, and the fact that it didn't, you should be so overjoyed that you rush out to tell people about this mercy that's available. Mercy is available to everybody. I love how this concept is supported also in the Old Testament uh, in Genesis 12, verse 2, God and Abraham have this conversation, and, and, and God tells Abraham, Yo, you're going to have, your descendants are going to be many. It's going to be a lot of peoples. But you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. There was nothing special about the people of Israel, nothing. God chose them. And said, yo, now the fact that I chose you and the fact that I'm going to extend grace and mercy and compassion and kindness to you, when other people, nations see how I interact with you, they're going to want to be with me. That's why I did it. And God's saying, those of us who have received his mercy, mercy is to be shared. It's not just for you to keep to yourself. I want to end today with a um, couple things. First, um, if you are 
wrestling with something and you're in hiding. I'm going to pray for us. But, man, I want you to bring it to God. I, I, I really pray today that, that you're bold enough, that you're strong enough to actually take that thing and say, God, you know what? When I pray today, I'm going to pray that I get your mercy. I know I've rejected it. I know it's really good for me cognitively, but today I want to taste and see that it's good. I want you to pray that prayer. If, uh, if, if you're self-righteous, man, I want you to celebrate the fact that God extends mercy to you, even in your prideful heart where there's, there, you have um, intentionally or unintentionally made no room for him, that he still shows up and is available. So the moment that you're ready to let him in, he says, here I am. For those of us who are self-righteous, I just, I just want you to put your, your stone down and I want you to celebrate God's mercy today when we pray. And lastly, for, for, for everyone, I truly believe there will be a moment this week, maybe when you leave here, maybe you've got to be intentional about, about it, but whatever, that, that my prayer is going to be that God give you an opportunity to extend mercy. And that when you do that, it would radically transform how somebody sees Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this space and this room to pray. God, we thank you that for those of us in hiding, that we can be vulnerable as tough and difficult as it is but that we could run into your merciful arms because they're made new every day. God, would your mercy drag us out of despair and into a loving hold and hug with you. And God, for those of us who have stones, who when we see someone talk a certain way, we judge them. When we see how someone is dressed, we judge them. When we see how how, how someone votes or their ideologies or the things that they stick to, their values, and they're, they're different than ours, but we judge them, Lord God. Would we put our stones down and would we celebrate your mercy today? The fact that even though we may have done that, that once our hearts become open to your mercy, you enter in and all things are made new. And God, would we have the opportunity to be the merciful expression to someone who doesn't know you. God, give us a very tangible way that we, maybe there's, some of us are, have to be intentional. There's someone even right now on your mind that you can go and be merciful to and would it radically transform their lives. God, thank you that your mercy is for everyone. It is available for everyone. And on the cross is where you extend the greatest mercy that we could have ever received. That instead of us being there, you took our place. In Jesus' name, amen.